It's time for the Film Crickets with Jay Fortier, Chris Martineau, and Melanie Howerton. On this week's episode, co-host from the Playlist Wars, Brian Colburn, join the Crickets and they review the 1985 American teen coming-of-age comedy drama film, The Breakfast Club. Does it stand the test of time? Let's find out your Film Crickets are on now. All right. Hey, friends. My name is Jay Fortier. I'm along with my good friends, Chris Martin. No, and Melanie Howerton. How are you guys doing today? Hey, Jay, what's happening? Hey, and welcome to the Film Crickets. And we have a special guest today. We have Brian Colburn from Playlist Wars. And uh, I was honored to be a, a guest on his podcast a, a few months ago. So uh, that was an absolute blast. And we'll put the uh, link to that um, in our description for this show. And uh, today we're going to be talking about The Breakfast Club. Welcome, Brian. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm excited. This is a little out of my wheelhouse. <laughs> Normally, I talk music all the time. Gomez, my co-host at Playlist Wars, is the massive movie fanatic. But I've always joked on the show that there are five or ten movies I've seen. And this is one of them. So, <laughs> yes. Short list. The Breakfast Club. Was that because you were, did you identify with it, Ryan? Or were you a troublemaker? Was that your I deal? I don't know if I was a troublemaker per se, but there was something about this movie that when I was a teenager growing up, it resonated with me. The characters mm -hmm. reminded me of people I knew. Mm -hmm. The situations reminded me of situations I knew. And the dialogue between the jock, the geek, the prom queen, all of that was aspects of life that I was able to understand because I played football in high school and in college. But I also played a bass guitar and played in rock bands. Mm -hmm. And my parents were pretty strict about my grades. So believe it or not, You're I awesome. saw myself in Judd Nelson's character and John Bender. I saw myself in Anthony Michael Hall's character of Brian Johnson. And I saw myself, believe it or not, in Emilio Estevez's Andrew Clark. So I had the <laughs> burner. I had the smart kid mm -hmm. and the jock kind of all rolled into one and there was just something about this movie that resonated with me on a lot of levels plus the soundtrack kicks ass so and, and, oh, yeah. and, and where is molly ringwald inside of you just wondering <laughs> what 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 well, avenue you know, what, look, what, I, what corner of your psyche they her and ali sheedy live just wondering i didn't win prom queen i was oh, pretty upset about that you should be <laughs> you're, that's, you're a handsome man all right but i will um, say this i had a crush on Molly Ringwall growing up. So that must count for something. In this oh, it's, it certainly it does. Yes. <laughs> All right. So I always like to start with first, I like to see whose suggestion this was. Brian, obviously, is this, this movie is near and dear to your heart. So, Brian, where are you in? You say this is in your of five movies you've seen. So how <laughs> when was the last time you saw it? Like, was it in high rotation when you were young? Like, tell me about like the last time you saw this film and how many times you've seen it and that sort of thing. Well, I watched it over the last week to prepare sure. for tonight just to kind of refresh my memory. Yep. But I had this recorded on VHS tape okay. growing up. And my first version was off of channel 11. So it was a completely different breakfast club movie than I know now. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. All so right. the scene where uh, John Bender's talking to his dad, I remember one part of it was like stupid, worthless, no good gosh darn freeloading son of a gun <laughs> like it was so but it was it was so poorly overdubbed it looked mm -hmm. like one of those old kung fu movies mm -hmm. because you could tell his lips are screaming like when he's you know going f you to his dad yeah. but they're saying knock it off or something mm -hmm. like that and like yeah. they don't even <laughs> sync up but right. that's the way i originally saw the movie in i want to say sixth or seventh grade okay. and i was watching it so much my my mom was like you're old enough just don't repeat anything and she handed me the real vhs and yep. it was then i was like well now this makes sense mm -hmm. <laughs> I, half I, the jokes don't land on the uh made for tv version no no i, I you know i had the same just a side note i had the same experience with animal house i only ever saw the tv edit of animal house because we dubbed it off the TV, like I recorded it off the TV. Was it seven want, minutes long? <laughs> nah, seriously, like they had a lot of the stuff, but they didn't have a lot of the stuff. Right. And I hear people like, oh, you like Animal House? That movie's disgusting. I'm like, well, I don't I know it's a little 
disgusting. And then I watched it. I'm like, this is the worst movie. I don't mean worse. Like, I mean, it's, it's really not okay. A lot of the things that go on, but like, I had no idea. And I'm like, well, I did not know. I swear to God, I did not know. Somebody having the, uh, the TV version of Porky's, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Oh God. there's, There's certain movies that, that I, you know, blazing saddles, History mm-hmm. of the world, anything Mel Brooks from the late seventies. You watch a made-for-TV version, and yep. then you watch the real version, and it's it's it the original Revenge of the Nerds, Porky's, like you said, yeah. Hollywood Nights, which I don't even know if they ever did a made-for-TV version of that. But cares? It's great. I'm glad I'm the only. I'm not that the only one. Uh, the bulk of the ten movies I've seen apparently came out in the eighties. <laughs> <too. laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, cool. Melanie, tell me your relationship with The Breakfast Club, not the actual Rat Pack, <laughs> but tell me where you were with this movie back in the day or now. Okay, so I uh, I don't really remember the first time I ever saw it, but I just remember always have, I've just always seen it. I just don't know mm-hmm. why or where or anything, but spoiler alert, I love the movie. <laughs> okay. Um, love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. Not only do I own it on DVD, but I stole it from my daughter to watch it because she owns it on DVD, who also loves it. So I don't know. I just, to me, it's like a huge 80s classic. Like, I think everyone in the world has seen this movie. Mm-hmm. So I just, I don't remember the first time I've ever seen it. I just always remember have seen it. I probably could have done this without even watching it because mm-hmm. I've seen it so many times. Okay. Super. Yeah. Cool. Uh, Jay, talk to me. Talk to me, bro. Um, I saw it. On? Yeah. I saw it in, um, when it came out on uh, like cable for the first time, like mm-hmm. a year after its release. So I want to say I saw it in like 85 or something. Uh, it's an 84 movie, right? 84. Yeah. Yeah. So I saw it in like, like 85 and it was right around like everything. Uh, uh, 16 candles was also in high rotation on cable. So you're watching that. You're like, Oh, I know those people. <laughs> They're from 16 candles. So you're like, you know, you, you start watching that and you know, it was me and my brothers. And we were just having a great time watching it. I mean, we'll get all into the, all the depth and stuff, uh, you know, as the show goes on. But it was it was such a um, it, yeah, it was high rotation for me all through my. I, I in fact, I didn't watch it this week. So all right, fair enough. Fair it's, enough. it's it's one of those like I knew it wasn't absolutely necessary. Mm-hmm. Like I that I doubt I'll miss anything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as far as like details when we're talking. So it's like, nah, I'm good. Sure. <laughs> so um, I think I'm in the same boat. I think that we rented it. On VHS, my brother and sister were big on this movie, and they showed it to their respective girlfriends and boyfriends. Like, so I must have watched it with them while they were while they were uh, while it was rented. Um, and then it went through this thing where it was in the zeitgeist. It was in the high school zeitgeist. Like the quote, uh, "Your dad, my dad should get together and go bowling." Was was kind of sifted all around. Two hits, now I hit you, you hit the floor, and it was just around. And then I remember it being part of like. People would use the clips of this movie like when they do their final like circle conversation at the end when they're all high. Mm-hmm. And they would use that as an example of people communicating or people being honest or like how the different sects of different areas can communicate and come together. Um, so I remember it, it's like almost I almost want to say like in a religious retreat, except maybe edited, but just the way that everybody that has different beliefs can like at least express themselves. I don't know. But it was around and people use this as an example of this movie means something to them on a lot of levels. And it means something to a lot of people on a lot of levels because of what you said, Brian, because of you think you see yourself at least a little bit in all the characters. And that comes down to the writing uh, by John Hughes. And also mm-hmm. me being a big John Hughes fan, Ferris Wheeler's Day Off was in high rotation because it's so goofy and fun and um, 16 Candles, not as much. And boy, does that not hold up, but that's okay. And the guy that's in it says it doesn't hold up, but that's all right. And before we get into the movie, I just have to do a caveat here. I am, for the past 21 years and going, I am a high school teacher. So I avoid movies about high school a lot. Uh, And what I'm going to try to do going in, I saw, I watched this this morning. I watched the AMC edit, but I already know the cursing, so it doesn't matter. I watched the AMC edit, and I'm going to try to not be in the teacher role. Oops. I'm going to try not to be in the teacher role for this because, and I know, like, I'm not going to pick on the movie because I don't want to be Mr. Curmudgeon. It seems like I'm always the guy like, this movie stinks. Um, I'm not going to be that guy, but I'm, I'm going to really, really try to reel it back because I am a teacher, and I deal with kids not the same way 
because kids are different now. But I'm just going to try. What's the matter, Jay? I'm laughing because uh, Melanie and I uh, were talking earlier today. and I <laughs> Yep. He's going to say he hates it. <laughs> I, I, no, no, no. Oh. I didn't say that. I didn't All say right. What? Well, um, no, I said, I wonder how he's going to think about this because of the teacher aspect. Yep. Because I know he thinks like this. Yep. And I said he brought it up during Fast Times, which he, he hadn't seen. Mm-hmm probably either ever or since you were like yeah yeah that Little. was your first go right yeah yeah, yeah. first go all the way through. Full. i had yeah. seen all some of it but not from the beginning so, to end, no there we go like yeah. like it, it was just funny that you started talking about that i started mm-hmm. laughing like um but but it's kind of cool that like at least it's already in your head from years ago and high rotation type yeah. stuff and then mm-hmm. And you're at least like consciously trying to watch it without. Well, what I'm trying the, to the do is, I, uh, for the record, I am not the assistant principal. Oh God! <laughs> okay, so for the record, I'm not that guy. In fact, that guy would have gotten arrested many times over, yeah. many times over. And it, it it just makes me think, like, what was school like back in the '80s? Because certainly that is not school now. Mm. All right, let's all. do the IMDb. What do you? Yeah, I'm sorry. All I, right. have so, to, I have to ask one question though. Have you ever dropped a "Don't mess with the bully, young man"? You'll get the horns reference. It's oh fuck no, absolutely not. <laughs> I get laughed out of the classroom. Exactly. You can't say. Yeah. Uh, so you can't say stuff that like you cannot back skulls. off. The next time I come in here, I'm cracking skulls. cracking skulls. Yeah, like, come on. <laughs> yeah. Please hit me in the face. That's my favorite. Please, yes, because I know we, we have to wait to get. Into right, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sorry. All right. That right there. Even though, like you know, like we we'll go out of order and stuff yeah but that right there that requires some conversation yeah okay yeah carry it from the beginning go <laughs> yeah all right um so here we go uh breakfast club 1980 says come on 1985 uh even though it's set in 1984 it's rated r comes in an hour and 37 minutes in one sentence imdb says five high school students meet in saturday detention and discover how they are a lot more in common how they have a lot more in common than they thought. Written and directed by the late, great John Hughes, starring Emilio Estevez, Judd Nelson, Molly Ringwald, Ali Sheedy, Paul Gleason, Anthony Michael Hall, and a cast of others, most notably uh, Ron Dean is the only one I really noticed. And uh, John Hughes does make a cameo uh, in this film. So there mm-hmm. is your IMDb breakdown. Where are you? There you are. Okay. So that's the deal. Um, and that's our movie. So so let's get into it. Where do you want to start, Jason? Um, well, by the way, I really wish I could get a version of that song that starts the way the movie starts. It's kind of like a, a different twist to it. Mm-hmm. Don't, you, don't it. you forget about me has a different um, like vibe to it when you're hearing it uh, at the beginning. I just wish they, they sold it like that as an alternative. Here's a remix or whatever. That quote from David Bowie is Ali Sheedy's idea. Okay. So she, that, that, you know, that, that whole thing, you can look it up. You know, they are, they, you hear uh, Anthony Michael Hall do the narration at first. What, what I thought was actually kind of interesting is they'll, they'll show in stills of the school and yep. they show like the, like honor society or something um, in the past. And one of those people on the honor society or like valedictorians is Carl, the janitor guy. No, uh, I didn't notice that. I thought that was kind of, All right. and you know, obviously a young man, you know, like in as a whatever, but it's just kind of like, you know, like it's not obvious. It's like something you learn later in life. You know, they like this. Oh, look at that. But I think mm-hmm. that's kind of an interesting. I'm today years old when I learned that one. <laughs> right, right, right. Exactly. So like, it's funny though. They all get together at, Saturday, what, 7 a.m.? Yep. Now, think about this for a second. It, I was, I graduated in 90. That was such a foreign concept. A mm-hmm. Saturday detention? Yeah, yeah, that's really weird. Yeah, I never heard of that, except yeah. as a movie. Not right. a thing. So it's like one of those things that's like, wow, that would be awful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as he was saying that when you're walking into the school and you're noticing the things in the beginning, like the locker and and the janitor, um, there's also something else that's kind of creepy and i literally cannot believe they put this in this movie did you guys notice the graffiti on the wall that said i hate mondays yes do you know what that refers to yes it's pretty bad what in 1979 it was referred to a school shooting oh a 16 year old girl who her dad gave her a rifle for christmas and then the next month she decided to walk across the street to the elementary school and just start shooting everybody and she killed um, the principal and she killed 
a custodian and she injured a bunch of kids. Like there was like 10 kids that she shot. And when they asked her why she did that, her words were, I hate Mondays. This will liven up the day. Oh, and they put that in there. Like literally that's what that refers to. And there was a song that was right. uh, Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But then well, I, I can't believe they put that on there because I was like, oh, my God, really? That's what that refers to is that whole thing. That's pretty sick. Ryan, by the look on your face, I think you and I were in the same boat thinking yeah. it was referring to Garfield. Yes, yeah. exactly. what I thought. <laughs> All these years, I thought that was a Garfield like little hidden. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, my God. God. Well, did either of you hear the song? No. I hate Monday song. I forgot who sang. Yeah. But yeah, it's the Boomtown Rats. Um, yes, that's Bob Geldof. Yeah. And um. The the not to like take it down this road so far, but it's like the ending uh, of the chorus says, "I want to shoot the whole day down." Oh, so wow, yeah. But can you believe crazy. that they literally put that graffiti on the wall as you're walking? Yeah, but you know what? Holy. That would be a typical kid, not yeah, like giving a shit. Yeah, that's that's like, what I mean. Just think about like what did Judd Nelson write on his? Uh, I think it was his locker, right? His locker, yeah, it was, yeah. yeah. The one that said, um, uh, "Like if you touch this, you you can die." And then he yeah. used the f bomb for mm-hmm. uh, Geisler. Mm-hmm. And he had a little uh, noose hanging down too. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Because they'd allow that—a <laughs> noose hanging out of a locker. Can I? Well, uh, no, or just you know him writing his own graffiti yeah, on right, there. right. Nobody goes to lockers anymore. No, they don't. They don't. Yeah. They don't go to. Lo- Trust me, they don't. Yeah, I know. We stopped us back in my other school. We stopped assigning them after like my fifth year there. We don't even use them another- anymore. They they ripped them yeah. out of the school. They don't even have them anymore. They have yeah, what the lockers were. It's cuckoo. Hey, yeah. by the way, so let's talk about corporal punishment. Saturday morning detention that lasts nine hours. Nine wow. hours. The school day is six and a half. Wow. Nine wow. hours. Wow. And they expect them to sit there and do nothing. <laughs> How? How? You're asking, basically, you're saying, basically, you're saying we need a teacher to constantly say for nine hours, stop doing that. Head up. Stop doing that. Head up. Mm-hmm. No doodling. Stop doing that. Head up for nine hours. At least tell them like they have to do homework or something. Nine hours of nothing. That's crazy. Well, they told them they had an assignment. They were supposed to be doing something. But Melanie, a thousand words in nine hours is a long time. <laughs> yeah. It's only a thousand words. That's yeah. not a lot. And by the way, his, his, his paper was not a thousand words. Yeah, yeah no <laughs> doubt. It was really a paragraph. But yeah. anywho, the director's edition of this movie, the nine hour cut sucks for the record. I just want to. Say <laughs> <that>. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot more peeing. Yeah, just sitting uh, there. Just sitting there, staring at nothing. The dream montage is actually a forty-seven minute song that nobody. <laughs> they did have a dream montage thing, and it was exactly. really dumb. Like, look, it, I read about it, and, it, and I'm so glad they cut it out because it looks so stupid. Each one of them, when they actually fell asleep, they were supposed to all be dreaming different dreams, and it looked really dumb. So I'm so glad right. they cut that out. Yeah, that's a little cliche, kind yeah. of. I said, yeah. no, but you know, <laughs> it's one of those that's less is more. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Because yeah. Melanie's going to tell you another trivia later that I asked her if she if she knew about it. Well, I'll tell you now. Okay, you tell it because I didn't even write it. Well, down. it Go was ahead. um what she read a different version of it, but I had heard on a podcast about movies. There was a different part of the movie where there was like a teacher, and supposedly she was like swimming nude in a swimming pool, and Melanie had read that she was changing in a locker room, and the guys were looking through a hole. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's like. I'm so thankful it didn't go in this direction because yeah, like, yeah, this movie, you know, like at the end when this is all over, no matter how you felt negatively about any of the people in it, you really feel bad for each one of them. Mm-hmm. And it would be hard to do that if you're watching some peeping toms, <laughs> like yeah, yeah. They, they, that would have cheapened the movie because yeah. the balance of comedy and drama in this movie, I think is what I like so mm-hmm. much because mm-hmm. I'm not a huge drama fan when it comes to movies, because the way I look at it is everybody has drama in their day to day life. But how often do you have a belly laugh every single day of your life? You mm-hmm. don't. And I've yeah. watched many a bad comedies that I adore still for that one scene that made me laugh till I cry every time <laughs> I see it. I'm mm-hmm. not going to say that the breakfast club had that level of comedy in it, but the banter in it was so smart mm-hmm. and so well written. For me, I feel like this is a movie where you would never have a Kevin Smith style movie without the breakfast club because scenes after scene in this movie are dialogue 
that drive the narrative nowhere. Mm -hmm. The whole scene talking about Judd Nelson and the argument with his parents or just, well, Brian, that's a very nutritious lunch. All the food groups are represented. Did your mom mm -hmm. marry Mr. Rogers? Little stuff like that, where it's just them talking about food and what they're eating. It doesn't move the narrative, but because the dialogue is exposing how each of these characters think and interact with the other people in the group, it actually is moving the narrative, but it's at a deeper level because the movie's trying to show how boring this nine hours is and how mm -hmm. mundane and how, but they're doing it while also developing the relationships that these characters share. So to me, that balance is something that future filmmakers have kind of latched onto like a Kevin Smith. Yeah, absolutely. The uh, uh, you got to give credit to John Hughes for writing this script and allowing the time to flesh out the characters in the way that he does. And he does it in a very unique way. And I, I will say that I kept saying this while I was watching it today. It's a stage play. I mean, it's just a stage play. There's really nothing. You could put this on stage real easy. Cause it's it on, is on stage actually. Okay. Super. Really? So it's an ensemble. Nobody is more important than really than anybody else. Judd Nelson's the most interesting, but nobody's yeah. really more important than anybody else. And to your point, Brian, with the dialogue is that the dialogue goes, it is mundane, but it does allow us to see into the motivations of the characters. And the other genius part is it doesn't do it all at once. Mm -hmm. So we'll have a funny line and then, 30 seconds later, a very serious conversation comes up as a result of a funny line, which is very hard to do. And also the whole point of the movie is for us to understand, not necessarily sympathize because they're kids, mm -hmm. right? We're looking at this, this movie through the lens of a, of a teenager and the lens of a teenager is not the lens of an adult, but to them, these things that are so bad that are happening to them are the worst things in their lives. We as adults know there are worse things down the line, but at the, and there are. But and when you're a kid, you can't say it's not the worst thing because that is the worst thing that's happening to you right now. And that's all that matters. And what John Hughes does is we don't have the payoff of what is like, why are you in detention and what your what's your family life like? We don't all have it at the end. We have it like peppered throughout. So we don't find out about Judd Nelson. I'm sorry, I never do character names. We don't do. We don't know about Judd Nelson at the end. We find out about him in the middle, right? And we find out about Ali Sheedy like way. Like I don't even know, but there, I can't remember. But it's all over the place, which kind of keeps you invested, right? We're not waiting for the big payoff, and that's really freaking hard to do if you're just writing dialogue. Can you imagine as a scriptwriter trying to make that work? That's like really hard. So good for him for having his is kind of its thumb on the pulse of what would keep it interesting because if has the potential to be horrifically boring if you waited until the end for the big like all the big now we all understand each other they start to understand each other in bits and pieces throughout the movie sometimes they understand each other more sometimes they get pissed off at each other sometimes they they're together sometimes they're not and that's life we don't always see eye to eye right. So I'm sorry. That's a bit, no, 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 I was more. I'm more going to your point, Brian. Is that that's that was that to me is the benchmark of this movie. That's the gold standard of this movie. And what you're right, all those other dialogue-driven movies like Kevin Smith, and you can make an argument for a lot of them. They kind of tip a hat to this because if if John Hughes doesn't do it here, nobody does it after, or at least it right. takes a little longer anyway. But yes. that's my point. The reason why it looks that good is because John Hughes did actually everything in sequence. And that's very odd for a movie. They mm -hmm. usually shot a little piece here, a little piece there, uh, had to do with lighting or whatever, or a certain scene in this area. But with this, he wanted it to go literally exactly in sequence for the entire movie from the beginning to the end, because he wanted these characters to actually start relating to each other just like they were in the movie. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of a lot of it was real, the way they were acting with each other. And cool. oddly enough, they had enough time to like rehearse the whole film while it was, I think the set was being built or whatever, like while things were happening like that, they had time. So like normally movies don't have time to have everybody run through the entire movie mm -hmm. ahead of time. So I thought that was kind of cool too. They had like three weeks, I think. Mm. Yeah. That reminds me of kind of one of the tricks that was used in animal house before the movie shot, they brought all of 
main characters together and just mm. let them get to know each other and bond for two weeks. And then they kept Kevin Bacon's character separated from everybody, the entire filming of the movie. Mm. Mm-hmm. So that way, when there was the tension between his character and everybody else in the movie, you felt mm. it. And that mm-hmm. was a trick they used in that movie to to let these guys. It's hard to fake that they're college lifelong buddies like an animal house. So in order that they by having those few weeks together, the camaraderie and group came together off camera and that translated on camera. And, I, and I'm guessing this is kind of the same thing melanie that they did for this movie yeah they tried to keep like that they did the same for saving private ryan they kept matt damon away from everybody else (laughs) and then they made the guys that are finding matt damon go through some sort of basic training (laughs) and that they they specifically said matt damon doesn't have to go through the basic training so they get more and more aggravated that they have to go save matt damon if i think about right now if i were to create a movie about what my 13 year old is going through in school, it would be the most tone deaf because I don't understand what kids are doing now. Because when I explain to my father things that I dealt with in high school and my father explains to me what he does, it feels like two different universes Yep. because my father was telling me that something that happened at his school frequently, mm-hmm. kids would flush M eighties down the toilet <laughs> to get, school closed think about that Mm -hmm. in modern times that is now considered terrorism where in the 1950s it was considered a childhood prank yeah think about the level how how life has changed Mm -hmm. so to be able to see the generation that's behind you and speak on that level that resonates and even more importantly holds true for time because that movie is 30 something years old now mm-hmm. 30 40 are you kidding this is how old this is 1984 yeah, 1985 yeah, okay, okay, going on it? 40 it's going to oh be 40 God, years so old, old soon <laughs> but it still resonates now these characters even though they're 1984 besides some of the clothing some of the dialogue some of the words that are no longer deemed acceptable in modern language or or even just like you know bummer or gnarly or like the real yeah. like the valley girl kind of stuff yes yeah but the the mindset of those mm-hmm. i don't want to say stereotypes but each character is kind of representing oh, yeah. a stereotype sure in 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 children of that age it still holds true a lot of those things the jock the the mm-hmm. big tough guy on campus the burner the guy that doesn't care the prom queen who everything has to be perfect mm-hmm. in the 1980s. She was just talking about putting on a good front in front of her friends. Whereas now it would be your filter on your TikTok video was off or your Snapchat or, you know, there's a different way that people are popular in this modern age, but mm-hmm. the thought crosses over the decades. And I think sure. that was again, another huge piece of why his writing was so great for this movie is the mm-hmm. longevity of it. Well, that's why like this this th- these scenes come up in like psychology classes and they come up with in like discussion classes for child psychology and things like that or film study classes on how to how do people talk to each other and you're right it's it's their interactions with everybody but and it is a voice for that particular generation i'm not sure it's the idea is the same i think the voice is different but i'll get to that later i would like to address how John Hughes, again, he has a an, an adolescence mind. He wrote Ferris Bueller, he wrote 16 Candles. For whatever reason, he had he knew how what they were thinking, and we I totally agree. But in his head, parents are it's like that line from Christine. You ever you ever think about how much your parents are actually trying to kill their children? And like everybody's problem was all going back to the older people in their life. And it was never I don't know how much accountability they had for their own choices. They all kind of like blamed their parents. And I think that's what we all do. I'm not saying they shouldn't do that. When you're a kid, that's what you blame. You don't blame yourself. You know, you don't have that mental acuity. You don't have that emotional or mature acuity yet to say, eh, that's probably not the best idea because you don't have any life experience yet. So who else are you going to blame? You're going to blame your parents and they do it very well. Again, you know, as a parent or as an older person, part of you goes, there are worse things. But he does a, a good job at trying to get me to forget that. 
And that's where the assistant principal comes in. And he is the embodiment of all of that stuff. He's the, he is the authority of the day. And what's and I'm going to switch gears to him for a moment. Mm. We'll go back to the kids in a moment. we got to switch gears to him because that guy epitomizes he is the parent to all of them or he feels he should be because he gets violent with them. He tells them that they're pieces of crap. He does, you know, mess with the bull, you get the horns. He calls people missy. He calls people buddy. You know what I mean? When he's being derisive to them. Um, and he also, and I think this is what John Hughes is trying to tell us, he is a reluctant parent because he doesn't want to be there. He doesn't want to be there every Saturday. Who in their right mind would want to look over these kids every Saturday and particularly Bender from now till time immemorial? He's going to deal with this dickhead every Saturday morning. Why? Because that's what he chose his job to be. And he does it. And a lot of that anger comes out. Much like if you have, you know, times when you're a parent, you're aggravated at your children. You go, I can't every day, every day, right? And that's what he's, to me, and I'm not saying I agree. I'm just saying like, that's what I think what John Hughes is trying to get across is like, yeah, I'll do it, but I'm going to resent the crap out of it because this is what I signed up for. Every Saturday I have to deal with, if not Bender, somebody like Bender to be obvious on why he, you know, the, the proof he doesn't want to be there is that he's not in the same room with them. Uh, yeah. Like, you know, he'll, he'll be like, I'm going to be right across the hall because it's like, you know, yeah. like deep down, he's like, this is my way of being away from you kids yeah. and, and still watching you. You know, he's not actually watching. About it. <laughs> I know the, the door is broken. The door is broken. So because he wanted the door open. So he'd go in his office, the door gets broken. What you do then is you sit in, the, in the room. room. Yeah. yeah for what sure. the hell is that? Like, that, who does well, what's that? What's great is that Judd Nelson or uh, Bender goes, um, you know, like he lets him put the fire hazard in there first. Yeah. Then <laughs> expose. Okay, okay. Yeah. yeah. That, okay. That's I have to butt in here because those are my couple of my favorite lines when he was like, the door is way too heavy, sir. And then yeah. so then the door slams and he's like, damn it. And he's all upset, you know, all so upset about it. And then he puts like this metal bookcase in between the doors and he's telling like Andrew to get up, like, get up here, come over here and move this over here and put this in this in the middle of the doorway. And he's ordering him around. And he's like yelling at him. So he does exactly what he's told. And then immediately after Bender's like, mm, I think that's like a fire hazard, sir. <laughs> like whatever he said. So then he was like, what are you doing? Get this out of here. Come on, get this out of here. What are you doing? And I'm like, okay, he didn't, you told him to put this there. It's like, he's like blaming him for everything and yelling at him mm -hmm. to get this thing out of the door. It's like I, every part with the principal is just hilarious. He's such a good actor. He's so funny. He, I, I feel like he really like really made me. He's awesome. He died. And, and I feel bad that because he was typecast throughout his whole career, <laughs> every time yeah. he was in a movie, you're like, here comes the douchebag. Oh, no. <laughs> Well, that the, like what Melanie was saying, that scene had so many great lines because you have screws fall out all the time. The world's yeah. an imperfect place. Mm -hmm. But my one of my favorite comedic lines in the movie is actually Claire Molly Ringwald's line of why would anybody want to steal a screw? Yeah, like it was just such <laughs> a funny mm -hmm. way to try to trivialize what was happening and it was it was one of that that type of dry kind of deadpan it's not meant to be a laugh it's mm. not meant to be a funny line but her overly inquisitive question of that really was comedic because that is the attitude they have at that age but that's when she first starts connecting with the people in her group and fighting with them yes right that's the first sign that she's connecting with these people and she's kind of backing them up against mm -hmm. the principal. And also yeah, when she yeah. says, shut up, uh, to tell them to stop <laughs> mm -hmm. asking for more yes. detentions. And, you know, they hate each other at the beginning. A lot of, a lot of the kids sort of just either they're indifferent or they can't stand each other. Like obviously with the way he's Bender's creating problems. Now, when the principal vice principal guy decides to do anything to try to get to one of them they all sort of put out a, like a like a smoke screen like it's like mm -hmm. okay i hate this prick but i hate you more like you're an authority yeah. figure you're not getting yeah. in and i love it like it's just it's such a cool line like a, like you know they, they know where to go mm -hmm. i want to say something chris you know how you said that like if you did jaws that yep. you would need like 
a few episodes to kind of go through the entire thing. Oh, sure. I feel like this with The Breakfast Club, because honestly, wow. if you think about it, we I don't know how long we've been doing this, but we have just <laughs> literally started. We, we, we have just started the beginning of this movie. This is the very beginning of the movie where they have just freaking tried to keep the door open. Mm-hmm. We have not gone into anything else. And I have five pages of shit going on here and you guys haven't even said anything yeah, yet. I feel like this movie, this movie could go on forever. I know it's going to go over because there's just, well, there's really so much to talk about with this movie. But, you know, I mean, it's obviously you can never cover it all. So we have yeah. to look at it like that. But we have to try. Okay, well, t- oh tell you what, why don't you take us in, uh, like, I don't care what order, take a look at your, at your notes and then say, here's something I really want to talk about. All right, go for it. Oh, God. Now you put me on the spot. Chris, oh, yeah, went, but, Chris yeah. reminds me of things. Chris says something. Right. I, I love Chris because he, he says something. And then I'm like, oh, shit, I know what to say. <laughs> and I want to say something like immediately <laughs> after. And they don't have a chance to get in there. We'll do it. And then I'm like, oh, OK, well, maybe I'll say this after. And All right. I get that. I got something. I got something. Um, All right. Go unless on. Brian's. I don't want to like, you know, Brian to feel like, like <laughs> it was great, man. It was so much fun. All the. <laughs> they just talk to each other. I got to speak up every five seconds, you know, like every like 30 minutes. I would basically just say it's probably one of the most quotable movies. Mm. That to yeah. me is a that's a drama that could be used in comedic ways. Mm-hmm. Just some of the lines like I have them written down here. Some of my favorite lines in the movie. I said the why would anyone want to steal a screw? Yeah. Does Barry Manilow know that you raid his wardrobe? How does Andrew get up? If he gets up, we all get up. It'll be anarchy. <laughs> yeah. Like that was just like, just lines like that. They're just, oh my God. Can yeah, you describe okay. the ruckus, sir? Mm. So yeah, I've got a couple when you're talking about lines. First of all, Molly Ringwell is like, are we going to get any milk? Because I get really dehydrated. And he goes, I have seen her dehydrate, sir. And it's pretty gross. <laughs> that part's so funny. And then another one where he goes, you wear tights? No, I don't wear tights. I wear the required uniform. Right. Yeah, tights. Yeah. God, I love, that. So <laughs> I love that. All right. You want to do Ali Sheedy's dandruff? It's Parmesan cheese. Oh, sure. nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny. So many people who I've, I've heard two separate commentaries on, on this uh, where people react to the movie like that. They're younger people that had never seen it. And it's like on YouTube, they have different reaction videos and neither of them pick up on. They're like, is that sugar? It's the pixie stick. And it's like, yeah. like not everybody knows. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not even sure they sell pixie sticks. If they do, it's probably in specialty places, but like not everybody seems to know what that is. Yes. It's like some sort of flavored... big ones. They were like three feet tall. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. So it's just kind of funny. She puts that on the sandwich puts Captain Crunch, takes her like olive loaf or whatever and throws it up and it lands on the uh, mm-hmm. thing. Her idea to put the, the um, Captain Crunch in there because she wanted it to be really crunchy sounding. Mm. So that was her idea. And then Molly Ringwald's idea to do the sushi because she was supposed to have pasta, but she thought like sushi was more like rich, you know, so she oh, yeah. wanted to put that in there. So like, Ali Sheedy and Molly Ringwald had a lot of things to do with the movie, actually. Right. I didn't know about the the uh, grated cheese part. That reminds me of what I know about a Christmas story. The snow is actually mashed potato flakes. Oh, nice. so, love that movie. By the way, in Cleveland, you can go right up to the house. I did in there. I went to that oh, tour. It was absolutely amazing. Yep, it's all there. You just walk right up. It's really neat. I would love that. Cleveland. Oh, it's fantastic. You do the city. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in the morning. And you do a Christmas story house in the afternoon. It's a great day. World's, so cool. world's largest candy store. Also, let's talk about Vernon threatening uh, John Bender. <laughs> that was horrible. I, I, I know why. But he threatens him with physical harm because you might, back in the day, be able to push a student in the back, which you can't. Don't lay. Do not touch students these days. Yeah. At all, and you should not. And you should not at all. He's saying that because he wants him out. Because if he punches him, he can get him out of that school. And that way he doesn't have to come to Saturday detention every week till time in memoriam. Well, That's why he's doing, he's goading him into doing it because he can't get horrible. He's supposed to be the adult and that's a kid. And I always remember thinking of that when I was younger, I thought, oh my God, that is horrible. He's supposed to be the adult and the look on his face is absolutely horrible. Like he's in shock that a principal is doing this to him. And it's just, I I felt so bad for him in that scene. Well, there's a couple of angles. Look at the the fact that he has an awful home life. You know, he gets burned by a cigar from his dad. Dad punches him in the head. You know, one of the authority figures in his life 
treats him the same, but just at school. Uh, like, so he yeah. can't even escape to school. You know, like some people like will go to school and mm-hmm. be thankful from, you know, seven something until two, yeah, because, sure. you know, it's not home. God awful thought. But, but the thing is too, Vernon puts Bender in a, an absolutely no win because when you're looking at it as a, as a 15 year old or a 13 year old, you're like, he could mm-hmm. probably kick the shit out of him. Right. But it's like, right. um, yes, it doesn't matter because no one's going to take the word of the guy who pulls fire alarms. All Vernon has to do is turn around and go, he attacked me. It was crazy. I couldn't believe it. And yeah. everyone, everyone's going to believe him. But you know that that's a, that's a shitty ass principle. Of or course a teacher he is. Because literally yeah. shitty teacher, shitty principal, because you should know that the kids that are bullying people and they're little assholes in school, they are the ones that have the hard lives at home. Mm-hmm. And they should try to reach in a little bit deeper and figure out what's going on with these kids at home and try to help them. Again, like you said, Jay, he's an authority figure on that. And he can't even escape his horrible home life mm-hmm. and go to school and feel safe. Yes, he's horrible at school, but he uh, the look on his face, you can tell that he didn't think that a teacher would actually do something like that to him. He just, he was right. very shocked. And I was going to say, I'll take that one step further and say that I don't think Richard Vernon ever matured from when he graduated high school. Yeah. No, because he was stooping to a high school mentality or worse in that scene. So he was showing that he still had that childlike mentality. And it almost at that moment puts John Bender over him in a level of maturity, which almost is like, I don't want to say a passing of the torch because it's not because it's almost like John Bender wins that moment by not doing anything Mm -hmm. and shows that he's the more mature person with more restraint. And that's when you start seeing his character. I don't want to say grow, but he... I guess levels off and then be kind of, I don't want to say becomes cool with everybody, but that's where his turning point is towards the end of the movie mm-hmm. where he kind of at least sees eye to eye with everybody, mm-hmm. at least in the breakfast club. And I think that was an important part of the movie for that moment to happen. I think a huge important part of the movie is them sitting in a circle talking about why they're there to begin with. Just the look in Bender's face. Because he thinks, you know, oh, my God, I have more problems than these people. These people are rich and stuck up. They have no clue what it is to have a real problem in their life. And then when he hears uh, Andrew's story about how he's got a win, 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 and he thinks that, okay, you can see it in his eyes that he's relating to, even though it's not exactly the same, but his fathers could be kind of friends because they kind of bully their kids in the same way. But then when he hears Brian's uh, explanation as to why he is there, and it's just because of stupid grades and how, you know, I can't have an F. My, I know my parents can't have an F. I mean, he bought it, you know, he's saying how he bought a gun to school and all that. You know, the, the look in his face, you can see at that point, he's literally starting to understand these people. And that even though these, these people have money, which he doesn't have, and they're not getting physically abused, which he has at home, he can relate to them because even though it's not physical, they have such a home life where they feel so devastated in their entire life that they feel like they have to go to these measures to prove something to their dad or to take themselves out of their entire lives to begin with because of what they're feeling and what their parents have made them feel like at home. Mm-hmm. And he can finally start relating. And I think literally that's when they all start really relating to each other, which is why I kind of don't understand why when Molly Ringwald does that little stupid lipstick thing, why he starts picking on her all over again, because it kind of seems like he's relating to all of them for once and they're all getting along really good. And then all of a sudden he starts picking on her again. And I don't understand why, again, it's so sad, but when Brian's like, Oh, so what's going to happen Monday when we all go back to school, are we going to mm-hmm. be, I consider you guys my friends. Mm-hmm. And she's kind of telling the truth. Like, well, no, cause I'm popular. I'm not going to be friends with you. Cause I'm going to be embarrassed or you're going to mm-hmm. be embarrassed. That is so heartbreaking to me. Like that whole oh scenario of having to kind of prove yourself to your stupid friends around you. Mm-hmm. I give it credit for being honest yeah. because they're being honest with each other. It's like I've never been to, but what uh, I almost envisioned as an AA meeting, had been to AA, but had been a therapy meeting. They're just being honest and yeah. the you have to be honest. You can't, if that's what you think you're going to say, then you be honest and say what you think you're going to say. And then everybody has to somehow deal with that. Mm-hmm. Or why does he pick on her after the lipstick thing? Because he's not, yeah. they're not cured yet. Mm. Think of it as a therapy session and they only had one session. So he's, that stuff's still going to come out because they're not perfect. And that's okay. I like the honesty of that moment. And I wonder the same thing is that, well, how can he, 
Why would he do that? Because they're just kids and they're not perfect. And they don't, these aren't adults making decisions. That a little reptilian brains are still active and they're not, they're doing things that don't make any sense. And that's the honesty, which I enjoy. It's not freaking unicorns and fairies at the end. Yeah. The part that gets me about that, because that this is kind of one of the more dramatic scenes in the movie, hearing all the stories. But again, the balance of comedy and drama even happens in this scene mm-hmm. when Allison says, you want to know what I did to get in here? Nothing. I didn't have anything better to do. I love it. Right. And like that just shows that they're able to bring levity to these terrible stories that each of these kids have gone through but in a way her answer is very similar to theirs she wanted to escape something yeah and that's why she's there that day although she's doing it in the comedic fashion of i just came here in that roundtable session at the end they're doing what's called active listening to each other and they're not judging what each other well they are but they're more relaxed and listening to each other's story from the nerd versus the wrestler versus the other people they're actively listening whereas earlier in the movie and i was so glad to hear it emilio esafes says to somebody i forget who he says everybody's home life sucks if you have a problem you don't want to hear that you want to hear here's what's upsetting me right now please listen and you don't want to hear that's not that bad. Mm-hmm. So we've turned from so what everybody's life sucks to active listening. And that's when the truth and the honesty comes out, whether you want to hear it or you don't, that's when it's going to come out. And that to me is a healthy conversational situation, which also helps that they're all in a circle, right? So that's where the genius of John Hughes's writing is that he goes from that point to that point without having to hit us over the head with the idea. It comes in very subtly so i give them a lot of credit for that i think that's a lot of the themes of the movie are delivered in that subtle fashion and i think that's another thing that to be able to hold people's attention for a nearly two-hour movie with mostly dialogue when i say mostly dialogue i think about extract some of the conversations that are had we talked about this earlier you're kind of weaving through those conversations to get to that round table at the end and the movie starts really making sense during that roundtable yeah. mm-hmm. because all of their interactions that were negative with each other and the kind of the comedic jokes and the jarring back and forth, they're starting to see the other side of the mirror in this moment. Mm-hmm. And it makes all of those conversations and interactions from earlier in the movie really hit home. Mm. Yeah, I like um, in that section of the movie, it's not even that's not all at once when they're sitting around in the circle it's not all here's why i'm here here's why i'm here here's why i'm here it Mm -hmm. gets broken it it makes you laugh uh it brings you back to the serious stuff and then it makes you laugh again like it's like a back and forth so even that's not like you know a straight up top of the heap moment like i mean like here it is it's the peak of the film you know i mean it is but it's not just sequential of like andrew saying it uh, they they say it, but like then there's broken stuff, like of them doing, like her doing lipstick, and then fighting for a bit, then getting back into the the warmth again. It's not just fight warmth movie over. It's fight warmth fight again. <laughs> like, yeah, instead uh, of this, it's like yeah, you know, it's a long peak. It's peaks and valleys. You, you start here, you end here, but somewhere in between, you get as far away from each other as possible. But eventually you end up together again and you got to you just got to worry about this. You just don't want this to get too far apart. Hmm. Right. I, I use that analogy for relationships like you kind of end in the same spot. But at some point you're here yeah. um, and you just hope you hope to get there. Uh, so point. let's uh, what do you say? We get to final judgment. Uh, I, I'd I, say this could take forever. Like, you know, I'm talking about the, the film. Melanie has Patreon on this. It's an eight part series. The, the Breakfast Club. <laughs> um, you can. You, no, I'm sorry. No, Go but ahead. we could revisit this for Patreon or something like, you know, like yeah, once yeah. we get Patreon. Uh, we don't yeah, have right. it quite yet, but we're getting there. It's time now for final judgment. Are you ready to rubber stamp this bitch? 
Here's the final judgment. Uh, so, all right, right now it's uh, time for uh, final judgment, where we talk about how well the movie holds up today. I don't think it was. It was. I think it was inescapable to tip our hats throughout this entire conversation. It was. It, you know what I mean? Like it was so hard to not just come out and like I, like so many times throughout the whole podcast. I'm like, and here's why it holds up. So I'm going to say yeah, it absolutely right. holds up, and then uh, you know uh, we can go from there for everybody else. Um, you know, I don't have to actually take my turn right now, but I'm gonna okay. I'm gonna put my rubber stamp on that. It absolutely right. holds up. And then we'll I'll, I'll, I'll talk about why. Um, well, let's go with uh, Melanie. You know, uh, I don't want I don't want Brian <laughs> to feel pressure. Like, how do how, you know? How do you guys do this? You know what I mean? Like, I don't want him to like be the first one out <laughs> the gate and go. Um, is that what you want me to do? Um, so go ahead, Melanie. Okay, totally. Not only do I love it, but I think it holds up because referring to just teenagers nowadays. Um, and I know Chris, you're a teacher, so you're gonna look into this, but. You know, I've got teenage girls and, you know, they've got friends and they've got boyfriends and they it's like a whole like domino effect here of all the people that they know. Everybody I've ever talked to loves this movie. I think it completely holds up. If you can have a 16 year old girl watch it, a 17 year old person, an 18 year old person, and they, they actually talk about it in school. Everybody can relate to the different types of people that there are whether like it is the jock or the brain, the person who just doesn't fit in or the prom queen, whatever. Everybody has a piece that they can relate to. And I just can't see how this movie couldn't hold up for so many reasons. If you just want to talk 80s, um, I think this is like one of the biggest 80s movies that was ever made and has all the big, huge people in it. There's so many things on here that I didn't even go into, but just as far as how things are nowadays and how my kids like it and their friends like it and their boyfriends like it, obviously that proves right there. It holds up. Mm. So yeah, it holds up on my end. Well, at the end of the movie, the speech that's made, it makes for one of the most powerful endings to a movie because at the end of the day, and I'll just use the lines, but each one of us is a brain and an athlete and a basket case, a princess and a criminal. And it's something like I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, I felt like I related to a lot of the characters in this movie and at the end of the movie they're basically saying that's the point we want you to see a little bit of what where each person is coming from so for me this movie certainly holds up i'll have no problem watching this with my daughters as they get older and i'll have no problem having conversations with them after the movie about it because some stuff might go over her head some of the 80s references some of the language and the lingo some of it might shock her like some of the stuff we talked about in this episode. So to be able to have that conversation, but also be able to laugh at the funny moments, because indeed there are a lot of them. This movie has a lot of heart and a lot of soul for what is supposed to be a teenage comedy. Mm -hmm. And I definitely think it's one of the most intelligent and smart teenage comedies or dramedy, if you want to call it that of the, the entire decade. So it most certainly holds up for me. Okay. So, you're all wondering. Yes. So here's the deal. Ready? So I actually been going back and forth on this and I don't want to say 50, 50, cause I think that's, I don't go 50, 50. I'm going to say, I've already said it. It's fantastic. I'm saying it's well-directed, well-written, well-acted. Except maybe Molly, not a fan of Molly Ringwald, just throwing it out there. Me too. Uh, I have that's a hard right. time with Molly Ringwald. Okay. So, <laughs> however, I've already said it. All the characters are fleshed out. You care about all of them. It has the, all the impact that Brian's been talking about, has all the impact that Melanie's and Jay's been talking about. So I'm going to say it holds up with an asterisk. Okay. So I'm not saying it doesn't, right? So don't jump on me. Uh, I'm not saying that. Richard, I'm just going to. I'm not going to say, no, no, no. It's not because of that. No, no. So I'm, I'm not going to say. 50, no, I'm just kidding. No, I'm not. I'm all right. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. So. Because I'm going to say yes with an asterisk. And the asterisk is as follows. And I want you, this is my opinion, but the, I have always viewed this movie from the past when I first came out is that this is how 80s high school was mm -hmm. in that the jocks hung out with the jocks and the rich pretty girls hung, all they all hung out together and the nerds all, and they never intertwined and they kind of gave each other a hard time. And my experience with high school, since I have been in it since 2001, is that most of the time, and not saying all the time, people just hang out with whoever. I don't think there are these pockets of clicks of only the jocks hang out with the jocks. I've seen it firsthand. Most people, like, I'm not saying all the time, but what I have witnessed is 
nerds just do their thing and the jocks don't pick on them that much from what I've seen. I'm not saying full across the board. I'm not saying there isn't hazing. I'm not saying there isn't bullying. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that in my classes that I've dealt with, and I've dealt with a lot of classes, I have jocks who are stoners that are really smart. And they hang out with the theater kids and the gay kids and the LGBTQ kids and everybody just does their thing. And the bullying that happens for is for another reason. But the whole lens of the movie for me, and this is how I remember it was, The Breakfast Club when it came out was to say, we all shouldn't be in our own cliques. We all have some commonalities. And this movie breaks that thing down. I don't think that compartmentalizing of cliques is as apparent now, which is refreshing. Like even the special needs kids, like we used to, Jay, you know, we went to the same high school, not us, but the special needs kids got roasted all the time. You saw it. Like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like they they got a hard time and now they just do that. Yeah, it was terrible. Now they just do, they're just part of the community, whatever. They just leave them alone. Like, and they talk, everybody talks to each other. So again, what I'm saying is the following. Here's the asterisk. And first of all, the other asterisk is there is no assistant principal that would ever, ever get away with any of that. A thousand percent. Again, maybe back in the day, you were like Jay and I, we had a gym teacher who said, if two kids had a problem, we had them stay after school and fight each other in their office. Yeah, yeah. He used to say that. Like, you can't do that now. And that's probably good. And you can't say to a kid, you're worthless and you're never going to do anything as much as you might in the back of your head want to say it. You You can't say that because that doesn't help a situation at all or so in that regard it doesn't hold up because that's just not how school is now right and the parents are different now the parents in breakfast club were indicative of our parents and how they treated us we treat our kids different so it's a different vibe Mm -hmm. altogether so that's the asterisk okay as a sociological microscope on people this movie absolutely a thousand percent holds up and i think everybody should see it particularly if you're a teenager all I'm saying is that maybe, and you couldn't call it the Breakfast Club, but maybe you want to do that again for a new generation and not do the exact same thing, but something like it that hits those things that kids still have a problem with. Just as long as it's not two hours of this. Yeah, we. I know. I know. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah no yeah. shit. No doubt. Right. And for those listening, I was staring at my phone. <laughs> so you had mentioned it before something about TikTok, like. That's where the bullying is happening. It's not yeah. in the classroom. Right. It's not right. People just want to most of what I see most of the time, it's just, they just want to go to school, do their thing, go home. Sure. And the only time that people have a problem with other people is, is when they, they're talking shit. I don't even know what that means. Okay. They're talking shit. So I'll take my you know turn. I mean? Um, yep. I agree. Oh, I, 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 I thought you had your turn. I'll say it holds up. I'll get back to life. I'm sorry. All okay. right. All right. All right. Go ahead. I agree with you on the, the fact that there's no way it's to be exact because of the fact that kids are uh, they are different today but mm-hmm. i think whatever problems these kids had they made sure we understood so deeply that i may not have a, a problem where i'm going to tape somebody's buns together or i'm not gonna i'm not gonna have a problem with like you know making a lamp or you know what i mean like i'm not gonna bring a flare gun to school I, i'm not gonna have those specific problems but i un, they made me understand what they were saying so like i bought in so I believed everything that they were talking about and saying, like, you know, I have problems too, you know, like, so like whatever, it's not they, those problems, but my problems are this or whatever. But like, I, I get that sometimes and, and how friends don't always see or, or other students don't always see what's beneath your surface because you're putting on a front, whatever that may be, you'll put on a front at school. Like, like nobody just walks in and goes, Hey, what's up? I'm just going to relax, you know, and be myself all day. You know what I mean? Like you kind of go, Hey, what's up? Uh, you know, you like, you do this thing, even though maybe you're not feeling that, um, you know, and obviously I know geeks today or, or nerds, however you want to put it, put it is look at, you know, Mark Zuckerberg, you know what I mean? Like, you know, yep. I, I think it's living proof that you can be a, a major nerd and become a gazillionaire. You know what I'm saying? Like, so like, that's kind of like a cool thing, right? So yep. they have shifted things to where that's not, it's not just jock to the cool ones and that's it. Mm-hmm. That's where it stops. No, it's, 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 it's kind of gotten uh, spread out. Uh, so I, I, I totally hear you there. I think it holds up because of uh, one example. I saw a movie, it was a documentary called Don't You Forget About Me. And it yeah. was about 
them that basically it was it it ended with a poof like it it didn't end with a bang because the whole thing at the end they tried to get john hughes to talk to them and they found his house and they left him a note and he just sent the note back via mail like you know like with the videotape of what they sent him like you know what i mean like with nothing like he didn't write them a note saying sorry i can't so like that's but but during the film leading up to that moment they are talking to different people whether it be actors that are in the films that john hughes were was making or kids today which was you know i want to say you know from the year 2000 up i'm not sure when this movie uh, this documentary came out they all the kids that were seeing it saying i can't believe how much i love his movies like and how much he, his movies speak to me like breakfast club and you know whatever so he was still reaching people like you know that were all teenagers into the 2000s so i have no doubt that he's finding a way to reach them still even though, like of course they can't relate to every aspect where are the kids cell phones where is, is everything it's not there but the the problems are real and they may not be my problems but it's it's one i can relate to because they sold it so well to me so absolutely holds up and um we're gonna call it a day there uh so well i just want to say like sorry interrupt for a few seconds with the whole clicking thing, the whole clicking thing there. Because <laughs> um, I just want to say before you guys cut off here. So with me having teenagers in high school, I can tell you that the clicks are real. They're still going on just as they were in the 80s. Maybe people aren't bullying people as much where they're going to go meet somebody behind the gas station and beat the crap out of them. But they are still very clicky. There are like they were saying, like, even though he's a nerd, and he's going to go back to school on Monday. If he would have walked up to them, not to say that they would go to beat him up or be abusive to him, but are they going to be embarrassed because he's walked up to their group of friends and he's, they're a little bit embarrassed. That is literally still going on today. I've seen it with my kids. I know it's real. It's still going on. It's been going on since the freaking fifties when my mother was in high school, she had clicks that she had to deal with. I had clicks. I had to deal with in the eighties and the nineties. My kids have clicks that they have to deal with in the two thousands. That is literally all that shit is still going on. Yeah, I agree. That's why the asterisk. Thank you, Brian, for joining us. Thank you guys so much for having me. This has been an absolute blast talking tonight. A little outside of my wheelhouse. So <laughs> hope I didn't ramble no, on too much. Fine. Here. It's great. Yeah. See, and I told you it was going to be simple because it's like, if you know the movie, it, you, you have an opinion on it. It's that easy. By all means. Yeah. You don't have to know like, you know, everybody's acting history or whatever. We don't. We can <laughs> Thank wait. God. In fact, Gomez knows that stuff. The way I know who played bass on the, a re-recording of a song by a band that hadn't re-recorded it under this band name, like random music yeah, facts that I have. Absolutely. Gomez has about movies. So I was like, oh, dude, I hope I don't I hope I don't fumble this one. Nah, it's all good. <laughs> no, it's great, man. Um, tell us, uh, tell the audience about your show. Well, Playlist Wars podcast is a show that Gomez, my best friend of 30 years, and I have been running for the last year and a half now. It's basically summed up. We have one topic and three playlists, and the listeners decide who's best. So, Jay, you were on our show for the songs of 1982. Mm -hmm. That was the topic of the episode. Jay, myself, and Gomez each created a 10-song playlist that we felt best represented 1982. And then we go through each song, track one through track 10, kind of making the case as to why we chose the songs we did. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the episode, our listeners go to our website, which is playlistwarspodcast.com, and they vote for which one of the three of us they think, quote unquote, got it right. And it's basically an excuse for us to celebrate the songs we love from a band or a genre or a topic, have some fun, talk about songs that maybe you hadn't heard in a long time and kind of bring up some blast from the past that you're clearing off the cobwebs in your mind and kind of rediscovering songs you hadn't heard in a long time. So it's a great vessel for conversation about music and Gomez being the mute, the movie and video game fan. He is loves to tie his playlists into movies any way possible. So it's kind of a way for the conversation to kind of veer all over the place, but stay on topic at the same time. 
And yeah, it was a blast having you on the show, Jay. I think a lot of people really enjoyed that episode too. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, and we, I also had fun uh, having, um, I had Gomez on for a rad episode. Chris uh, was not mm-hmm. there for that one, but uh, yeah, no. So it was, it, was, it was fun. I hope to do it again sometime. By all means, we'd love to have all of you guys on sometime. And hopefully we can find out your movie list of your 10 movies that you've seen in your lifetime. And then maybe we can cover those. <laughs> We're down to nine. You now have nine left. (laughs) So you can join us again for whatever movie that, uh, if we haven't done it already. Yes. All right. And uh, that'll be it uh, for us. Uh, Thank you, everyone, for joining us. And it's nice to always have a, uh, you know, the the three of us together, you know, like in one show. So it's it's great. And uh, I don't like to tell uh, who's next because uh, sometimes plans fall through. And then I tell the audience that someone's coming up. And that's not the case. (laughs) You know, (laughs) when that gets canceled surprise yeah (laughs) but uh so we'll uh have a great week folks take care bye bye